0: A serious time, you know, in their lives. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. And ladies, we have one stall working in the women's bathroom. It's the first one as you enter the bathroom. So uh, I'm going to get a plumber and we're going to get, well, no, my brother might come, Randy might come in Friday and help me out a little bit. We'll see. If I don't have a plumber show up, Randy will become the plumber (laughs) with me. Amen. (laughs) We'll get something going anyway. Hallelujah. We've been talking about unblocking curses that block your blessings from being released. Tonight is part three, and I want to talk about how you can remove those curses. How many need some things removed? Amen. Well, this is part three, so let's see what, what we learn tonight. Uh, our text scripture has been Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you know you control your destiny to some degree, because to a great degree, because when you share things out of your mouth, if they're negative, then it's going to produce some negative things. If you share positive things, then it's going to produce positive things. You reap what you sow. And uh, they got a saying, what goes around comes around, and what comes around goes around. Something like that. Anyway. But uh, you can really change the atmosphere by your own attitude and by your own words. And God can use the Holy Spirit in you to speak positive things. But that doesn't mean that if you have some things that are, uh, that are blocking you that you can't have feelings. I mean, everybody has feelings, and uh, some things need to be removed. I remember when I was growing up, we were so poor. And uh, a lot of people say, well, how can you be that poor in America? Well, i tell you what. We had a big fan in the back of the house that blew out, and you opened your windows, and all the air, about 4 a.m., You got some cool air in the summertime, about 4 a.m. in the morning. And uh, we had just wood, hardwood floors or linoleum on them. And we didn't have an air conditioner until I was 12 years old. And I'm not poor mouthing it to you and complaining. I'm just saying, I never knew I was really that poor because we ate cornbread and beans and ham hock. And, (laughs) you know, uh, we had some good food to eat. We ate potato soup with cornbread. Uh, We ate biscuits and gravy with eggs. You notice that I haven't eaten yet this (laughs) evening. I'm talking about food. But, uh, you know, you can have a mindset. And I didn't know I was poor until I saw how well off my classmates were that I went to school with. And I was really ashamed to have somebody drop me off at my house. And our grandfather lived just down the way or... At one point, we lived behind him on another street. But he owned our house. He owned Pastor Ken's house when he was growing up. Then he moved to St. Louis, and we moved in the house that his mother had with her children. And it wasn't such big place either, was it? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, if somebody was in the bathroom, especially my sister, taking a long time with her makeup or something, you know, Uh, You know, it could get uncomfortable (laughs) if somebody needed to go. But uh, anyway, I used to have them drop me off at my grandpa's house because his house looked nicer. I thought it would be more impressive. Anyway, and I found out I was so bashful and shy, I I couldn't even talk to a girl hardly, you know. And it, it made me nervous sometimes, girls talking to me. I found out years later that I had two or three real pretty girls that really liked me. I said, well, if I'd have known that, you know, I I might have had a girlfriend along the way there. But I I didn't know it, you know. I I had a very inferiority type complex. And I was very skinny. I could turn sideways and disappear. Get a hold of that one. and Turn sideways, disappear. But... My coach said, I turned sideways, I looked like a zipper, and I stuck out my tongue. Yeah, that's because I was so skinny. He nicknamed me Bones, and that stuck with me. I still have people call me Bones today when I'm out and about. Sergeant Butch Mobley, he was in the police department. He'd say, hey, Bones, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'd say, well, I hadn't been called that in a long time. I moved away, and I, I outgrew that nickname. By about 50 pounds, cherish. I put on enough weight. I got married, and boy, the Lord blessed me. He blessed me 50 more pounds, 60 more pounds. But I, uh, you know, you have a mentality. Even to this day, I think I'm skinny until I look in a mirror. I say, hey, what happened to that skinny guy? You know, I've still felt skinny on the inside. And you know, you feel a certain way because you had a certain mindset and it kind of controls you. And so God wants to free us from mindsets that aren't really righteous or holy. He wants us to be free. And so it's controlled a lot by our tongues, by what we say. And I just want to say this, you know, uh, I'm going to talk something about anger tonight. There's a high cost to anger in our lives. Anger really produces, the Bible says be angry and sin, not. But when you let anger stay in your heart for very long, it seethes in there and it's just like an infection. It can really damage you. But let's look at some other scriptures here. Genesis 49 and 7 says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. Your your anger curses you. Curse be your anger, for it is fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. I'm not going to go into all the context of that, but you know he's saying you know anger when it turns into wrath, you know it's like rage. You want to take care of somebody, you know you want to really come against them. It It really rages in our heart. Let's go to Job chapter 5, verse 2. For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. So, you know, to be envious, you know, of somebody else, what they have, what position they have, who they are, is funny because I always had a little bit of that towards people, you know, they got it so good. But then come to find out, some were jealous of me because I, I, I was a Christian. I didn't have a lot of their hang-ups. And I could be funny, you know. I was always the life of the party, but I didn't have to party. You know what I mean? I didn't have to be on all that other stuff to have a good time. I was, just had a good time all the time. You know, that's just my life. I enjoyed my life. Ecclesiastes seven nine tells us, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Anger will really cause somebody to be foolish. You know, it can get down inside and it really works on you if you let it. I want to ask you a question. Has anger cursed your life in any way? The devil would like to bring something against your life to cause you to be angry and it gets inside you and it makes you react a certain way. And, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult when that gets in there to get rid of it. Uh, it's You know, it has to do with control. You know, I've shared that before about the core beliefs inside a person. You know, one being conformity which... It's a person loses their identity and they have depression as a symptom. And then uh, the second C word is compulsivity and that's when they get into addictive type behaviors. I'll talk about that a little bit tonight, but uh, addictions come out of compulsivity and that's because of anxiety, being anxious. You know, what is anxiety? It's like worry on steroids sometimes. You know, it's just... It's and it's stuff that hadn't even happened, or maybe it has happened, and you're afraid it's going to happen again. So it really works on us. And then the third one is anger, and that's when it gets out of whack. It's because it's out of our control. We can't control things, or we try to control because of anger. We use anger to try to control. I had a I went to uh, New Orleans to teach school and coach, and I had two of the guys from my college, well, actually counting Smiley Roberts, he became one of the football coaches. Uh, The four of us graduated from Evangelical University in Springfield, and then we went to New Orleans. Smiley was from New Orleans, but the other three of us, Don was from Nebraska, Mike was from Indiana, and I was from Missouri. And so we all went down there to teach and coach in a Christian school that was associated with the Assembly of God Church where Brother Marvin Gorman was the pastor. And so that's where I got really called heavily into the ministry and got involved and became one of the youth pastors and, and so on. But Mark, Mike, he was one of my roommates, he was such a happy guy until... These kids, they wouldn't behave. He didn't know how to control his classroom. And Stephen, he wouldn't like you. He wasn't so happy and hugging and all that. He he'd get upset at a certain point. He stopped his laughing and he'd pick up the chair the desk, you know, on those desks that had the little thing, you know, a little arm. He'd pick up that arm, go, wham, and slam it down the ground with the kid sitting in it. You know, the principal had to talk to him. He he was a football coach, but still, he'd say, now, Mike, you can't be picking the chairs up and slamming them down on the ground. You're scaring the kids. And uh, their parents aren't going to want to keep them in school. You do that. But he would get angry. He didn't know how to let it out. He didn't know how to deal with it. Well, I I kept my class engaged, you know. If I had a problem with one of them, I'd just send them to the office. Here, here, go see the principal. (laughs) Get out of here. The rest of us are trying to do something good here. But teaching, like civics, John, I'd climb up on top of the desk and I would get the book and I would read Lincoln's address at Gettysburg, you know, four score and ten years ago, you know, and all this stuff, you know. And and, uh, I would act it out. Then I'd jump off the desk and everybody would clap. Yay! Coach Mack, you're great, man. We love it. But... uh, i had to engage them. I didn't have to get angry at them. But sometimes you feel like just losing it on somebody, you know. That anger, if it gets out of whack, it controls our life. And the devil tries to use it, and he'll try to put a little stronghold in us to keep us from being free to be able to love people (coughs) because we can't trust them. See? Anyway people turn to addictive behaviors to temporarily cope with feelings of anger because of these control issues because they can't control things they lean and get involved in some kind of addiction whether it's alcohol or drugs or relationships or or whatever they are gambling I tell you, I was at the gas station. I was on my way up to pick Zach up at the airport, and I, I'm looking forward to him telling you. He told me a bunch of stuff already. It's going to really be exciting to hear about his trip. But I was at this gas station. I was standing behind this lady, and uh, she was well-dressed and everything. And I had a bag of chips and a, and a Baby Ruth candy bar, and I was just snacking because I knew we'd go grab a sandwich or something later and uh, she she said i want one of those 10 dollar such and such lottery tickets and give me a 5 dollar so and so and give me a uh, another she had like four different types of lottery tickets she spent like 30 bucks on lottery tickets and uh, i thought my goodness how often do people spend that kind of money on lottery tickets i was going to ask her hey do you ever win on her way out but I, I couldn't. I had to pay for my stuff. And she was long gone by the time I got it. I was really going to ask her. I was curious. If you spend that much on lottery tickets, surely you've got to win once in a while, I would think. I've never bought a lottery ticket. I made an agreement with God that I would never play the lottery. I never have, and I never will. And I've told you this before, but it's because the devil doesn't like me. And he would let me win. That's why I won't ever play the lottery. I'm telling you. Cherish, if I played the lottery, I'd probably win like a million dollars. That's why I can't even look at them. I'm not going to be tempted to do it. You know why? Because as soon as I win big, I would be on KFVS Channel 12 News. Pastor from charismatic church in Poplar Bluff won $10 million lottery yeah praise God wasn't that awesome I'm going to give my tithe off my lottery winnings to the church that's like that guy Chicago he, uh, he was preaching against the lottery and then his wife went and played it and won like $10 million he was from the south side of Chicago and he got up he said well you know I'm against it but i had to forgive her you know everybody's got to be forgiven and <laughs> and she's going to give an offering to the church you know so i guess that made it all right in his eyes but anyway you know people will turn to addictive type behaviors to try to cope with being angry on the inside being angry anger turned inward turns into depression. Depression is where we lose our identity. We don't know who we are anymore because we're depressed. We don't act like ourselves. You know, I got depressed in Nashville. I was teaching in a public school. I'd been an assistant pastor in two or three places, and I'd left as the associate here in Papa Bluff at the United Methodist Church, Grace United Methodist, and I didn't get another preaching or pastoring position, so my brother said, "We'll just move on over here to Nashville." and he introduced me to the, the school board chairman and I put my application in and they offered me three different schools to go to and the one I wanted to go to was really nice. But then I met the principal of the other one that was inner city school and it had 85% black, and almost all of those kids were poor at that school. And I, I really didn't want to go there. I just didn't want to. I wanted it easy for a change. But the principal, he was a deacon in the National Baptist Church, and he said, you know, Mr. McAnulty, we really need teachers like you because he knew I was a preacher. These kids need Jesus. He said, You can talk about him here. You won't be in trouble with me. And so I did. I talked about him. That kept me from having to talk about diagramming sentences. You know, and I was an English teacher six hours a day. You know, the same class, seventh grade. I had a lot of kids in that school. But it was downtown Nashville. And I, I just would preach to them kids every day. That's what I did. But I got to where I wondered, am I ever going to get back in a pastoral position anywhere? And I got depressed, and I just was, I was helping in the ministry at my brother's church. He had a good church, about 900 people, and and it was going good. And, and uh, I was uh, being the singles director at the time on the weekends. But I just, my identity was messed up. Because I got depressed about it. I didn't know if I was ever going to break out again and do in my eyes what I thought God wanted me to do. I was doing what God wanted me to do. I just didn't realize it. You know? Sometimes you're right smack dab in the middle of God's will and you don't think it is because you're driven to want something else that's like a carrot on the end of a stick or something. You want that carrot so bad because you think that's going to make you feel good about who you are. You see, that depression drove me. And my brother called me one day and he said, Hey, meet me over at the Denny's. Uh, Down, it was in North Nashville. And I met him over there. And we sat down and I ordered some coffee and he got something. And he looked at me and he says, You know what? You're not the brother I grew up with. I said, What do you mean? He said, the brother I grew up with was a lot of fun. He laughed a lot. He, he was always joking. He, he just was full of life. But you don't act that way lately. I said, yeah. I, and I admitted it. And I took it to heart. And I told my wife. I went back and talked to her. I said, you know, Jerry said I'm not the same guy I was growing up. And I said he was right. I had been depressed. And so you know what? We prayed our way out of that. And I started enjoying myself. I'd preach to those kids. Uh, I, I want them to interrupt me and ask me a question. See, I told the principal, I said, now if they ask me a question about God, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, it would be rude not to answer their question. And he smiled at me. So they knew if they asked a question about God, I wouldn't talk about English. And so about every day I preached the Lord to them and so many of them were affected. And it's funny because when I left, I went to House Springs, Missouri as associate pastor at Faith. Now they call it Faith Community. And I was a youth pastor and uh, associate pastor over the bus ministry and and evangelism and all that. And uh, I went back for a visit the next year. And uh, all these kids jump up we walked through the cafeteria, and they all ran up and hugged me. I was like, whoa. You know, And Mr. Armstrong, Dr. Armstrong, he said, Mr. McEnalty, you didn't realize that you impacted these kids more in one year than some of these teachers that's been here 20 because of Jesus in you. I said, wow, that is awesome. But, you know... God, he does a work in you if you'll let go of the anger that you have. I was mad because things didn't work the way I thought it should have and I thought I should just be in a full-time minister, ministry and preaching all these big meetings because I'd preached revivals and all kinds of things, youth camps, and here I was teaching the inner city school. I was a nobody. I was hidden. But God let me go through that. I needed that experience so I could learn to love people from all stations of life, all colors, you name it. And so it was an important experience for me, you know, so uh, a lot of times people miss what God's trying to do for them and in them. But let's look at John 8:36. I'm just going to share a few more scriptures, a couple more thoughts, but... It says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. Amen? It didn't say set you free. What's the word say? Whomever the Son has set free is free indeed. But it says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Make, in the Greek, means to Manufacture. You're on an assembly line, Stephen. That's why you're going through all the things you went through in life, because you're on an assembly line, and God is manufacturing who he wants you to come and who he wants you to be to influence others. It's just that he gets a little something extra as we do this along the way. I'm not perfect, but when I was a young preacher, I preached, and for the grace of God, people still got saved. I wasn't even that great a preacher. You know, I was just trying my best. And the older I get, the more I understand, the more knowledge I have. But it's, you know, God, he does a process in you. So your freedom is manufactured. Yeah, I've cast demons out of people that were possessed or they had certain areas of soul realm that were possessed by the enemy. They... We call them strongholds. If it's a little less, it's a foothold. And if he's barely got his foot in the door, it's a toehold. He can get his toe in the door, he can cause you some trouble. But then if he gets his foot all the way in the door, it causes more trouble. Then if you let him all the way in your house, he'll take over at least one of your rooms. That's why something that happens in your life can try to destroy the rest of your life because they got residence with you. But you see, uh, God has us going through a process, and it's a process of becoming free and becoming better all along the way. That's why as he peels away the onion and takes away the different things in our life, he builds us up into who he wants us to become. So it's him making us free. Then in James chapter 5, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, it's important. You can't tell everybody everything, but you need at least one or two or three people that you can trust, that you can share with them, What's going on in your life? And then they can pray for you. And God can help make you free so that you can become healed. You know, a trespass is violation of a boundary line. When a boundary's been violated, that's a trespass. You know, they mark the woods where people own land. Some of the people that hunt know this. But they'll spray paint purple on a tree that says, don't trespass. And in some cases, somebody might shoot some birdshot over your head or something, you know, from a shotgun, let you know, don't come any farther. This is land that I own. You are not welcome here. So there's no trespassing. Or they put up a no trespassing sign. So a violation occurs, then it's a trespass. And he says, confessing your trespasses to one another. Sometimes we have trespassed. Violated boundaries. While other times. Others have violated boundaries. And trespassed against us. That's why even the Lord's Prayer says. You know. Uh, the, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the day our daily bread. And forgive us. Our trespasses. Our debts. As we forgive those of others. You know. So. You know, the, when a trespass has occurred in us, then there is a root. There is something in there. And the Bible's, you know, uh, we got a saying, you'll know the tree by the fruit, and the fruit you'll know by the root. You know, the roots control what the tree produces in the fruit. So it's important for us to understand. For us to be healed we have to confess trespasses. Now, sometimes it might be a trespass that occurred to us. So when that has happened, we can confess that and we can be healed by others praying for us. So when that occurs, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It didn't say it had to be the most holy person in the world. And holiness isn't just how you wear your hair or your makeup or whether you wear, you know... Uh, pants or a dress. My mom never wore pants until my dad passed away. <laughs> then she wore them all the time. <laughs> you know, that Pentecostal lady. She needed to get rededicated. No, <laughs> no. He, Ken's mom did the same thing. I don't have no problem with women wearing pants. You know, sometimes that's a little more. Uh, what would you say? Uh, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's better that way. But. Anyway, we get too caught up in all that. But he said a prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it's more important that you get somebody that's going in the right direction with all their heart than it is to just have somebody that practices what people think is holiness. Holiness is really what's on the inside, not what is on the outside. Holiness reveals the heart, you know. Uh, and, you know, if you're holy, it's because you've allowed the Holy Spirit to, to dominate you instead of the enemy. And so sometimes we have to get help so that we can get rid of things that the Holy Spirit doesn't have control over. That's why we have to say, Lord, we submit to you. And, you know, submitting one to another. And so on. Anyway, let's look at Exodus. There's different types of curses is what I'm saying. Some come in different ways. But in Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Sometimes there are familial curses that have been passed down from generation to generation. You know, uh, my father had bipolar disorder. Uh, From all the reading I've done, I'm educated. That doesn't mean a lot. I've got a degree, you know. But uh, what I've learned in my study of that particular illness, it comes from the mother's side, the 23rd chromosome, is what my understanding is. So if somebody's going to have bipolar disorder, It's going to come on the mother's side of the family, passed down. So, you know, somebody could get it like my father got it, but he couldn't pass it down to us because it only comes on the mother's side. Well, my mama was as sane as the day is long, you know, and she, up until 90 years and one month, she had her sanity, and she had the most common sense of anybody I ever knew. And I feel like I got a lot of her in me. I got a lot of my dad. He was gregarious, he was outgoing, he never met a stranger, you know. He could quote scripture, he sang, he was very passionate in that way. My mom was a little more inward, you know. It worked real good when one of them's outgoing, the other one's not as outgoing. They made a good team. She sang alto and he sang lead. <laughs> you know. So they harmonized. But I didn't have to worry about getting mental illness because it wasn't passed down through my dad. It would have had to been passed down through my mom. I'm not saying all illnesses are that way, but that particular one, they have identified that to be true. So if your mom ever had bipolar, don't worry too much. We'll pray over you. Make sure that it doesn't rise up. But uh, there are familial curses that come on the scene. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will say when somebody reflects what their fathers did, they'll say, oh, he's a chip off the old block, isn't he? Well, look at John seven twenty three with me. It says, if a man received circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken... Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Jesus wasn't hung up on religion. I've been watching that show The Chosen. We watched that the other night with John and Chelsea. You know, that's that's pretty neat. I liked it. And uh, but Jesus was not hung up on religion. He he was the law in flesh. He was the word. He He had love was his thing. And yet he was the truth. You know, so he wasn't looking for his truth. He was the truth. All these people, I'm just looking for my truth. Well, look for Jesus and you'll find your truth. He is the truth, the way, the life. No other way to the Father but by him, you know. So, anyhow, God wants us to not be hung up religiosity-wise, legalistically. He wants us to function in the truth with love. And so, you know, he shows, you know, he healed a guy. They should have been happy that the guy got healed. But they wanted to say, you did that on the Sabbath. You worked on the Sabbath. Uh, i tell you what. My goodness. You know, but he, he told them who they were too in another passage. He called them a few names, and it wasn't sin, because he was telling the truth. <laughs> you whitewash tombs and sepulchres. You clean the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside of the cup. <laughs> anyway, no matter what, you will pay a very high cost. Or anger, if you let it remain in you. You know, the the New Testament tells us don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger turns into wrath. Don't don't let the sun go down because you know what? You're gonna get in some trouble. That's when people get into serious trouble. Because they let the sun go down on their wrath. You know, they didn't get over it, they didn't. They didn't deal with it. They didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Or the other person says, I'm sorry too. God wants us to deal with it. Numbers 20 and verse 12, we see something about Moses. Well, we're going to read 6 through 12. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now, you're talking about Moses, man. He is like Billy Graham to them, you know, plus being the prime minister all in one, you know. He, he was something else. But they humbled themselves on their faces, and the glory of God shows up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. He, he, he judged Moses and Aaron. He said, I told you to speak to the rock. I didn't tell you to strike the rock. Moses went too far. Moses was a man. He was mightily anointed. Man, you talk about... He, he did so many neat things. I mean, he got the children of Israel out of Egypt. But yet, he disobeyed God. He went too far. He didn't just speak to it. He struck that rock out of anger twice. And it cost him, kept him, from being able to go in the promised land. So, you know, sometimes... Our anger can cost us. It can cause us to not be able to do what we want to do. Uh, Revelation 12 and 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. You know, Jesus has shed his blood for us. And Stephen gave that testimony tonight. And... uh, He's just on fire, and I hope he stays that way. But if he doesn't stay that way, you know what? I'll throw a little torch his way, refire him. Hallelujah. But, you know, it's, it's a matter of applying our hearts and our lives to the task of serving him without any hindrance, letting him have our hearts and our lives, and let our testimonies show forth. When you truly give your life to Jesus, and then you can share your testimony, you're going to overcome your enemies. You really will. Let's look at Ephesians 6 and 12. Did I have that in the notes or no? Okay, Matthew then. Matthew five twenty three and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Don't just give your offering because you know that's the thing that God wants you to do and you've got a bad attitude or you've got a problem with your brother. That's why it's good to get it cleared up. You know, I have had many years and many relationships and times of disappointment with pe- some people. But I know this. I sleep really good at night because if anybody's done anything against me, I've forgiven them. If they've said anything against me, I've forgiven them. I've seen people here in this town that I know have been mean to me behind my back, and I see them, Hey, how you doing? And I give him a hug like Stephen does and, and say, I'm so glad I got to see you because I didn't let it stay in here. It was up here for a while and if the devil could have done it, he would have got it in here. And if he can get it in there, then he's going to try to destroy you, eat you up. It's just not worth it. And so sometimes... I hope people don't think I don't care because I don't go chasing after people. Oh, you got to come to our church. you just got to come back to our church. No. This is a free world, a free country. If they want to go somewhere else, I bless them. I'm not going to ever speak evil of them because they went somewhere else. That's up to them. That's their own choice. Uh, They're still my brother and sister in the Lord if they know Jesus then we're going to be in heaven together. So you know what? It's all right. Because you know what God usually does? When somebody goes and maybe they didn't like something that we said or did or whatever, I don't even know it sometimes because they don't even tell me. You know? I, that's why I don't lose sleep because they don't ever tell me what it was. Well, I'm going to see them in heaven one day. So why am I going to get bent out of shape on earth about it? We've got to humble ourselves, give our life completely into his hands, and let him take out of us anything that's not of him. Amen? So don't let any curses hang around you. Get rid of them. Let them go. In the name of Jesus. And uh, I just want to ask you if there's something, I know I'm going to pray with somebody afterwards here. with a handful of people, but uh, before I do that, I want to ask all of you, if you have anything in your heart, just close your eyes for a minute, and if somebody pops into your head into your mind that has made you angry, don't let it stay. Just let's say this prayer together. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. we give it to you. I'm not going to hold on to it I'm going to let it go I forgive if I don't feel it I do it by faith know that you'll help me to feel it later and take the heavy weight off of me and I can act the way I need to and be the person that you want me to be in Jesus, name. in Jesus' name, we let those curses go. Those curses Amen. go. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, all right, you can stand to your feet and uh, I'll, I'll release you to go home if you want. I I want uh, Tara and Dave to stay and Anna, maybe you can help stay and, and uh, maybe somebody go get their kids from the nursery. I'd like Lucia to come in here with me. So, but... You're welcome to go, it's good to have Zach back, yeah, and uh, he's going to be here Sunday to give us the scoop, so we'll release you guys to fellowship out in the coffee bar.